Good to see all of you. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. I've been on vacation. Uh, it was great, y'all. Have I ever mentioned how much I love the beach? I mean, y'all understand how much I love the beach? Man, I, am, I love it so much. I, I go to the beach like a job. I, I get, I, I'm a runner. I get up, I run in the morning in Florida, and then I go to the beach about 7.30 in the morning, and I stay till sunset. Man, I'm there till probably 7.30. Uh, I just love it, but I love you all more, and I love coming home, and I love being back. Uh, I missed you. Starting a new sermon series today entitled Best Sermon Ever. Warren Weeks came up to me this morning and said, Pastor Tim, there must be a miscommunication uh, because it says Best Sermon Ever, but that was last week. (laughs) Y'all remember? Who preached last week? Do you remember? Yeah, Warren Weeks. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, Best sermon ever is not the one that Warren preached or anything I will ever preach. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is, I guess in some ways we can say first sermon. It's in the Gospel of Matthew, the first big section of his teaching. So open your Bibles there to Matthew chapter 5. Going to start a a several week series here where we're just going to walk through the Sermon on the Mount together. It is just all so very good. In the Gospel of Matthew, let's sort of put things in context. Matthew chapter 1 starts out with that long genealogy because Matthew wants to tell you the story, according to his own words, of the birth of the Messiah. So for Matthew, Jesus is the Messiah, the promised coming king uh, from the Old Testament, the ancient Jewish Uh, prophecies. Matthew chapter 2, the magi, the kings from the east come to worship baby Jesus. It's that picture of all of the the kings, the nations of the world coming to bow down before him. He is the king of all kings. John chapter 3, it's 30 years later. Jesus is an adult. John the baptizer is preparing the way for the coming kingdom. He preaches, uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then Jesus comes and John the baptizer points to Jesus and says, behold the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. You, you, you know the story. Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. And then a voice from heaven says what? This is my beloved son. So Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the king of kings. And Jesus is the son of God, the beloved Son of God. And so in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is taken out to be tempted of the devil. He uh, comes back. He chooses his first disciples. And then in Matthew chapter 5, the disciples come and sit before him and he begins to teach them. And that is the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, it says specifically that when Jesus was preaching and teaching, he was always announcing the good news about the kingdom. So Jesus is announcing the good news about the kingdom. He's sort of picking up uh, with the fulfillment of the prophecies made by the Old Testament prophets and John the baptizer when he says, you know, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom has come now in Jesus. And uh, Jesus begins to teach about the kingdom. There's an old school teacher in our congregation who uh, once said something so wise, I've never forgotten it. And I think about this and quote it all the time. Uh, old school teacher wisdom here. She says this. She says that you must define yourself for yourself or others will define you for you. Now, she's a school teacher, so what does she know? She knows what it is at the beginning of every year to go stand in front of a, uh, a mob of kids, students. And they are there for one reason, and that is to learn 
No, 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 no. They are there to have her for lunch. I mean, that, 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 is, that is their job. That's what they think. And so the school teacher, that first day of school, you have to define yourself for yourself. You have to let them know who you are and who they are and what this class is going to be like. They need to know who's in control, right? You got to take control. You have to define yourself for yourself or others will gladly and happily define you for you. If you're not able to tell people who you are, they will be more than happy to supply an identity for you. All right, so understand, Jesus is talking about the kingdom. And the nature of the kingdom has everything to do with the the identity of the king. Who is the king? And the king is Jesus. Jesus is the king. So in this very first sermon, what's happening here is that he's going to talk about the kingdom of heaven. His disciples have come around him. But in order to help them understand what the nature of the kingdom is, they need to understand who the king is. Understand? So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus in so many ways is defining who he is. It's not really enough to say that he's the king. You've got to understand what kind of king. It's not enough to say that he's, he's, he's the Messiah. You have to understand what kind of Messiah. So the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' uh, inaugural address as king. It is his inaugural address to let people understand who the king is and the nature of the kingdom. Because you're going to come and live under his rule. Understand? So Matthew chapter 5 is, is the Sermon on the Mount. It's... Chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, three chapters, and we'll sort of walk through those over the next few weeks. Uh, the whole sermon, if Jesus uh, started to finish, would probably be 20, uh, 20 minutes or so, but you know, don't get your hopes up. <laughs> uh, I, can, I can make this thing last weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, go to Matthew chapter 7, though. In order to really get a sense of, of the sermon, let's go to the end. Uh, we have the benefit of that with it in writing. Let's go to the end. Let's pay attention to the last words Jesus says in the sermon and also the response. What did people say when he was finished? Matthew chapter 7, it's the end of the sermon. We'll start in verse 24. This is how Jesus finishes, and this is what the people said. Jesus says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. All right, two parts there. What's the first part? You got to listen, then you have to Follow, yeah. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't do it, doesn't obey it, is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. They'd heard a lot of sermons. They had never heard anything like this. The greatest sermon ever, because he is the greatest teacher. And you understand? The, the, the response, what, what people are, are, are struck with when Jesus preaches is this simple thing, authority. Jesus has authority. But when they say we've never heard anything like that, we've never heard anything like that from our teachers, nothing like that from the Pharisees, what they pinpointed was authority. He, he speaks with authority. What, what, what does that mean? Simply, he speaks with authority because he is the author. 
You understand the connection there? Authority means to be the source, you know, to, to, to have the source. And Jesus is the source. Jesus is the living word of God. So when the living word of God stands up and begins to preach the word of God, it's going to be different. You understand? It's a living word. It's not a dead word. The Pharisees, the teachers of religious law, they had preached a lot of dead sermons. But this one, when Jesus opens his mouth, life comes out because he is the way, the truth, and the life. When he opens his mouth, the truth comes out, not because he knows the truth. It's because he is the truth. You understand? He's the source. If it sounds like he wrote the book, well, guess what? He wrote the book. He's the author. He he is the creator of life. So when Jesus wants to tell you what life is about, you should listen. You should pay attention. Jesus is the authority. Jesus is the author. But now it goes further than that. And this is the part where we don't always really, really take Jesus to, to this degree. But this is important. To say he has authority also means he has the right to command. He has authority over you, over me, over all of creation. So it's not just that he knows a lot or that he's, you know, kind of like a really good life coach with lots of good suggestions for you. No, no, no. It doesn't work like that. He's not going to be your life coach and give you some good ideas. If you're going to follow this teacher, understand, then you're going to have to surrender to his command. He is in the position to command your life, in the position to give orders, in the position to enforce obedience. He has authority. Not like any earthly authority. I'm I'm saying that this is the son of God, the beloved son of God. This is the Messiah. This is the king of kings. And he's speaking now. You should listen and obey. It's authority. Y'all ever, I know it's been a while, but y'all ever watch uh, the dog whisperer on cable? Remember that? You you seen it? Hands up. You you seen the dog whisperer? What's that guy's name? Caesar Milan? Yeah. He's like this tall. I mean, he's, he's like a bulldog all by himself. But y'all, that dude's amazing. Have you not watched that show and thought, man, I like to give him my kids. I mean, didn't you think that? Because, I mean, every episode is the same. You got some lady with this rabid, crazy dog, you know, and Caesar always rings her doorbell and you can hear, you know, and this lady comes out with like Tipper, her dog, I always have a name like Tipper, you know, or Fluffy or Snowball, but, but Snowball is just like this, you know, rabid, just beast, you know, be like this big, but just like, you know, like every time it's just crazy dog. You know, and she's called him in because, you know, Tipper's already like, you know, devoured her husband and chewed up her son. And I mean, he's like tearing the house apart. And that's just, it's always like that. And what does the dog, what does Caesar say? Put the dog down. I should put the dog down. And what do you expect? What do you think is going to happen? The Tipper's going to eat him a dog whisper right there. You know, I mean, this is where it's going to be the last episode because Tipper's done torn the house down. You know, Caesar Milan walks up and says, put the dog down, puts Tipper down. And you think Tipper's going to, but what, what happens before Tipper has a chance to even flash a fang, what Caesar do? He'll say, Shh. you see him do it. He just makes that noise. Shh. And what's Tipper do? Like, Tipper's never even seen the show. Like, how does Tipper know? But somehow, Tipper recognizes authority. Understand? It's authority. I don't know how it works, but Caesar Milan walks in and dogs recognize this dude can command me. The interesting thing is that uh, 
experts who watch that show say that the dogs, they really don't show signs of having been defeated. They show signs of having been relieved. The dogs are actually relieved. I guess finally to find a, somebody who can stand up and, and, and speak to that fear and anxiety and anger and viciousness in them. Somebody who can call them by their true name and just go, shh. You know, that, that's authority. And when Jesus speaks, they said, I've never heard anything like this. He speaks to something in me and, and it's authority. It's, it's, it's authority. So let's read Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. One day, as Jesus saw the crowds gathering, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. Here we go. Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied, filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are the, those who are persecuted for my namesake, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. Rejoice and be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the very same way. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It, it will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that can't be hidden, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before others so that they will see your good deeds and Praise your Father in heaven. Now, that's how he started. First word out of his mouth is blessed, blessed. blessed. Yeah. I uh, knew a girl in, in high school who used to read Vogue magazine like every month when it came out. I didn't know what Vogue magazine was. You understand? But, but she did. Um, she was all about fashion, and she sort of, you know, turned her nose up around all of us because obviously we don't, you know, this is Warren County. You know, this is no fashion, uh, fashion destination for anybody, but this girl really loved fashion, loved Vogue magazine, and so uh, uh, one day she came into art class, and she was wearing gold ballet slippers. Okay, I know what she's doing, y'all. I'm not a total hillbilly, but, but I still like to aggravate her. Uh, so, you know, she's got these gold ballet slippers on, and I said, why you got your house shoes on? I mean, you know, because that's what a redneck would say, you know. Why you got your house shoes on? And she said, these are not house shoes. These are ballet slippers. Okay, I still know what she's doing, but I'm just aggravating her. So I said, I didn't know you took ballet. I didn't know you was a dancer. She said, I, I don't take ballet, but in New York, 
This is what the women are wearing. They're wearing ballet slippers for shoes. But I wouldn't expect you to know that because, and then she starts, um, because New York is about five to ten years ahead of Bowling Green in fashion. But what, she didn't say Bowling Green. She said Boring Green. Boring Green. She said, you know, New York is about five to ten years ahead of Boring Green. And, so, you know, it's that whole idea that, you know, she's dressing from the, from the future. Now, I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking, you know, she, she knows about Bowling Green. She dies, she came to Woodburn. Like, if she thinks that Bowling Green is behind in fashion, y'all, she died at Dollar General store. Have y'all been to Dollar General? I mean, we still got mullets, you know, in, in Woodburn. We still got women, in, you know, true story. We still got women in Woodburn walking around with, like, foxy lady on the back of their belt. I, I mean, they're not doing that in New York anymore. But, but, but we're still we're sort of stuck in it. My friend wanted to be a part of what was coming. You understand? She thought she had this idea of, of what we'd all be wearing in five or ten years once it makes it to Walmart. But for right now, she's on the front end of something. You know, And that's why she dressed from the future. That's why she dressed like she wasn't from here. And that kind of perspective will help you understand the way Jesus begins his Sermon on the Mount. It's this, these verses that we often call the Beatitudes. Now, as Matthew promised, Jesus is going to talk about the kingdom, good news about the kingdom. And right out of his mouth, he begins by saying, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the what? The kingdom. Jesus is talking about the kingdom. He's talking about the kingdom. Now, the thing is that kingdom is here, but it's not completely here yet. It's here because the king is here. Jesus is the king and the king has come. So Jesus is here, which means we can't say just that the kingdom is coming. We can say that it's already here. I guess we should say it's broken in. It's beginning now. It's arriving and the king has come. And now it's, it's the world that's behind and the world needs to simply catch up and yield and be transformed by the power of the coming kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus is saying. But it doesn't look like that from our perspective. It's hard for us to understand that the kingdom has broken in because the kingdom of this world doesn't give up its place very easily. So Jesus is talking about the kingdom and the kind of king that he is and what it means for you and me to come under his rule, to come under his reign, to make him our king. And when you make him your king, all of a sudden, you're from the future. You have more to do with what God is going to make into the world than what the world is now. You've got more to do with, with what God is doing with the future, the hope that we have of heaven, and less to do with this world that's all passing away. You understand? It's breaking in. So in that sense, we're talking about people who are from the future. We want the kingdom of heaven to come and be on earth as it is in heaven, but it isn't that way yet. The kingdom of this world is still nothing like the kingdom of heaven. So when we begin to have our lives transformed by Jesus, all of a sudden it's like we're from the future. It's like we're not from here. You understand? And that's why when you start reading the Beatitudes, immediately you get this idea that the world Jesus describes it's not really the world we live in. First word out of his mouth, blessed. Blessed, but in church, you've you got to add the second syllable, blessed. Blessed. Um, what's the word mean? Uh, Matthew, of course, wrote his gospel in the, in the Greek language. So trying to translate the word here is, is complicated. It's, it's not an uncommon word. 
It's just that as Jesus uses it, it's, it's hard to understand how he meant the word. In any other context, the word that Jesus uses here, we translate it blessed. In the other context in, in the Greek world, that word would just mean happy. It's a word for happy. So you could very honestly read, read through these Beatitudes, read through these verses and just say happy. Happy are the poor. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are the meek. Happy are those who hunger and thirst. Happy are the merciful. And on it goes. But, but quickly you start to recognize that tension because none of those qualities, none of those characteristics have anything to do with what we would call happiness. No, they do. But this is part of the point. You know, Jesus describes the, the world and it's almost like what Jesus is describing is upside down. I, I mean, happy are those who mourn. I mean, by definition, aren't people who are mourning not happy? But understand, it sounds like Jesus is describing something up, upside down, but what you and I have to recognize is that it's the world that's upside down. Jesus is trying to explain to us how everything is when he sets it right. So if it seems a little upside down, you got to understand, it's Jesus who sees things rightly. It's you and I that, that see everything upside down. So Jesus is the authority. Remember, Jesus is the author. Jesus knows what happiness is. So listen to him and change your definition. That's why happiness doesn't make it in a lot of the English translations. We wouldn't know what to make of that word used with these words. In other contexts, it's a, it's a declaration kind of word. So it'd be sort of like, sort of like our word, congratulations. It's like recognizing that somebody has received a prize. It would be like saying, man, they are so fortunate. How lucky are these people? So someone like Jesus said, how lucky are the poor? How lucky are the meek? How lucky are those who are persecuted? Uh, this word can actually be used in the same way. We would say, congratulations. Congratulations to all the poor folks. Congratulations to all the people persecuted. Congratulations to the meek and humble. It's almost like they've won a prize. But since when is there any prize involved with being poor? Y'all been poor? I, I've never been poor, poor. I've thought I was poor. Remember when you first get your license in high school and maybe, you know, just listen to Pat Paul tell you about the old days. But, but I mean, I can remember like running out of gas, like not totally out of gas, but like, I know I'm almost out of gas and y'all I'm in Bowling Green. I've always lived in Woodburn. So what is that? Like nine miles, but I don't have the gas to do that. And I don't have any money. And this is before credit cards, but my daddy would never let me have a credit card anyway. So that never would have helped me. Uh, so, and you know, I had a Chevy Chevette, which, you know, blessed are the Chevy Chevettes. I mean, so the Chevette had a seat, like a lot of, in the old days, a lot of old cars, the, the, the back seat would like roll up. And why would you ever roll up the back seat? To look for money. I mean, it's the only reason why that seat rolled up. And so I would roll up the seat and just pray, you know, to Jesus that I could find change. And y'all, I mean, I, I, have, I have gone to the gas station before and bought like 79 cents worth of unleaded. Anybody else? Hands up. You know, they have testimony. Yeah. I've, my dad's the only one, y'all. Yeah, it's just, just it's, a, it's a Harris thing. Uh, yeah, I've totally bought 79 cents worth of, worth of, worth of gas before. Um, these characteristics are usually things that we consider weakness. Poverty, uh, humility, meekness. A meek person is a person who's totally unselfish. They're not trying to get things for themselves. 
Um, they're perfectly willing to let everybody else have it first. And Jesus says those are the kind of people that are going to take over the world. The, the meek are going to take us all over. Well, what? So we typically translate the word blessed, but blessed. Um, because you really need to understand what, what, what the word means, what, what, what blessing means. As you start reading Jesus' definition of what it means to be blessed, you recognize immediately that being blessed is not a matter of how I feel. It's not about how you feel. When Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, congratulations, happy are those who mourn. I mean, you've mourned, right? You've had your heart broken, right? And in that moment, that's not a happy feeling. You don't feel like you've won any prizes when all you can do is, is taste the salt of your own tears. That doesn't feel like like blessing. So we're not talking about how you feel. We're also not talking about how your life appears at any given moment. You see, all of these characteristics, all of these people that Jesus mentions here, I mean, in, in this particular moment of their life, in the moment when you are hungry, in the moment when you are mourning, in the moment when you are feeling your poverty, now understand in that particular moment, you don't look blessed. And I was at Minute Mart one day, and I heard this car just rattle trap, you know, just, you know, backfiring and exploding. And I turn around, it's this car, it's just this rust bucket. I mean, a car with doors dented in and things holding on with duct tape and the back fender missing and a passenger window busted out. And on the front license plate, one word, what do you think it said on the license plate? Blessed. And what planet? Is a person driving that car blessed? I mean, at any particular moment, you may not see the, the, the blessing. And this is part of the secret. This is what Jesus wants you to understand. We're not talking about how you feel. We're not talking about how your life appears at, at any given moment. Jesus is talking about something else. Jesus is talking about how things turn out. Blessing has to do with how my life turns out and how it's rewarded in the end. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In that moment of mourning, I don't feel comfort. I need comfort. In that moment when my heart is broken, I, I, I need God. I, I need comfort. And this is what Jesus is trying to make you understand, that God does some of his best work on the other side of your brokenheartedness. Blessed are the poor. How in the world can you be blessed and poor? Well, this is Jesus' point. When you come to him understanding that you have nothing, then you're in a really good situation to receive everything. When Jesus says the meek are going to take over the world, you think, what? Meek people don't take over anything. They let you have everything. They give you the last piece of chicken. They'll give you the shirt off their back. Meek people just don't have enough sense to go get it. And Jesus says, no, you don't understand how this turns out. You don't understand the kingdom that's coming in. So when Jesus opens his mouth, the first word that comes out is, is blessed. He's not talking about your life as it is or how it feels. In this moment, he's talking about what happens to your life when God gets control of it, when God gets to do his thing. And the promise is there's reward on the other side of it. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the humble. You don't see this if you just look at the world. These aren't the people that you think are winning the prizes. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Wednesday night, our church will make a decision about a partnership with a man named uh, Pastor Ebenezer Faba Loquius. We call him Pastor Benji. Because Benji's a lot easier to say than Ebenezer Vabaloquius. Pastor Benji. He's in the Philippines. He, uh, as much as anybody I've ever met, he is, uh, he's this guy. Pure-hearted and merciful and meek and humble. I, I really, I've not known a lot about the Philippines. I didn't understand what the Philippines have become. I, I did not know that the Philippines is a place where ISIS, radical Islamic terrorists, have gained quite a foothold. I didn't understand the danger that they represent in the Philippines now. I, I did not know that the Philippine Islands have cannibals at all. There are cannibals there. Um, as much as I don't understand about Philippines, I don't know how much Pastor Benji understands about Woodburn. Because when Pastor Benji talks about like going to cannibals, he says that like, like that's something I do too. And I just look at him like, yeah, dude, you have no idea. You know? I mean, I, I preach to hungry people, but Pastor Benji tells a story. Um, it's the funniest non-funny story I've ever heard. You know what I mean? It's like funny, not funny, but so funny. Um, he was telling, uh, talking about the power of the gospel, the power of Jesus to change a person's life. And you know that power, right? I mean, he changes you. He changes you. He takes what you were and makes you into something you never could have been outside of his power. Jesus changes lives. I know the power of the gospel. And Pastor Benji's talking about the power of the gospel. And he decided to give an illustration. So he said, I have this friend who was a cannibal. And he just keeps going because he's not surprised by that. Although you're stopping to think, a cannibal friend? I mean, I would never turn my back on a cannibal friend, you know. I'd be sleeping with one eye open with a cannibal friend. But he looked over his friend who had been a cannibal. But he said, this is a man that he led to Christ. He walked into the man's village, preached the gospel to cannibals. This man came to Jesus and then became one of Pastor Benji's best friends. He came to Pastor Benji's school for pastors. He's been trained as a pastor. And he'll be sent out to be a church planter cannibal. Yeah. Awesome. So pastor Benji said, I was sitting with my friend the other day and, and I just looked over and asked him, I said, friend, when you look at me now, do you ever think of eating me? Yeah. He's not joking. You like, can't laugh because pastor Benji's talking about the power of the gospel. He looks at his friend and says, you ever think of eating me? And the friend says, no, pastor Benji, no, no, absolutely not. I never think of eating you now. I would never know. This is the power of the gospel, Pastor Benji. And this is Pastor Benji talking. This is the power of the gospel. I used to be that way, but I'm not that way anymore. No, Jesus has changed me. I never think of eating people. But Pastor Benji, I tell you the truth. When you first came to our village, you looked delicious. Yeah, Pastor Benji doesn't laugh. Like, that's just like the power of the gospel. I'm thinking, that is the funniest thing I've ever... But that's so not funny. You look delicious. I mean, he was saying... I mean, this is real life, you all. This is where they live. This is the church in the Philippines. You look delicious, but I'd never think of eating you. Wow. Pastor Benji was talking to a group of our deacons uh, at a slideshow. I don't have the slides, but he... 
had a TV and he was showing us pictures of, of his work there. And, uh, one of the pictures was an ordination service. It was a line of men on their knees uh, with the congregation laying hands on them. They were all men that Pastor Benji had led to the Lord personally, walked into their villages, preached Jesus, and then he trained them. He educated them, trained them to be pastors. And these men on their knees were all being prepared to be sent out to be pastors. Pastor Benji pointed to the guy on the end right here. He said, this here, this is Pastor Chris. He told the story of Pastor Chris coming to Jesus, the man that Pastor Chris had been, and how Chris became a believer and then trained in the school for pastors and now had been sent. And he named the name of the church in the Philippines where Pastor Chris went to be the, the pastor. And then Pastor Benji, just in the middle of that story, said that you know, he went to the church and they killed him. They killed him. But then he just went, he said, and this is Pastor John. In the picture right next to Chris, this is John. And Pastor John came to Christ. He tells the story of going to his village and how Pastor John was discipled and became this powerful man of God. And he said, John, after they killed Pastor Chris, Pastor John went to the church the very next week. And they killed him. And, and I honestly, I just can't bear because I know what comes next. Pastor Benji goes to the third man and says, this is Pastor Daniel. <laughs> now, when they killed Pastor John, they killed his wife and his children. Killed the whole family. And this is Pastor Daniel. And after they killed Pastor Chris and Pastor John, Pastor Daniel has now gone to be the pastor in that pulpit. I'll be really honest with you all. I, I can... I can, I can almost imagine being the, the, the first... I can almost imagine being the first pastor killed in that pulpit. But I don't understand being the third. Do you know what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I just don't know how you go the very next week with your family knowing that the last pastor and his family were killed. I, I don't understand that. So you look at the church in the Philippines and it looks like they're losing. I mean, pastors just one after another picked off. The church in the Philippines grows. Just grows. These people are unstoppable. I, I don't know what will happen to Pastor Daniel, but you understand if Pastor Daniel loses his life, there will be somebody the very next week, the pastor's line up. And Jesus says, Blessed those who are persecuted. What is he saying? 
it, it does not look like those pastors won anything. It looks like they lost. It looks like they lost everything, their lives, their family. And, and the way this world measures success, and the way this world measures happiness, you would think that, that, that these people, that these churches, that these pastors would be the very bottom of the barrel. But if you think they're at the bottom, you don't understand how the kingdom reshapes things. You don't understand how things look when they're set right side up again. And Jesus is the king, and he is here to set everything right. And, and this is the very promise of the gospel. This is what Jesus says his kingdom is like. It is a place where in the end everything is made right. And, and the people who are, are earning of the rewards, deserving of the rewards, by God's grace, they get the rewards. The meek, the poor, those who mourn, they get their hearts put back together. This is the promise of Jesus. Now, you don't see this just walking around in the world. This isn't how the world seems to work. It doesn't look like unselfish people get ahead. It doesn't look like people with hearts broken ever, ever get their tears dried. But Jesus himself promises that one of these days, he himself will wipe every tear away. Do you understand? It's what the kingdom that's breaking in is what God is doing. When he's allowed to rule, when he's allowed to reign... So Jesus is talking about the kingdom. And to understand the kingdom, you have to understand who the king is. And the only way to be a part of this kingdom is to come under his rule, come under his reign. It's not enough to hear a message and say, man, that was the best sermon ever. That's not the point. Jesus says, when you hear my words, when you hear what I say, it's like you go out from there and you build a house. And you either build a house on the foundation of what you've heard me say, or you build your house on something else. But Jesus says, if you build your house on anything other than my word, it's going to collapse. You wonder why your life never works? You wonder why you're on your third marriage? You wonder why you can't ever feel any sense of happiness for long? You feel like you're constantly shooting yourself in the foot every time you step out of the house? Do you ever wonder why you just can't get things right? Because you've never really learned how to build your house on the rock, on the bedrock of his truth. And he's talking now. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You listen to what he says, but then you obey. You, you walk in his ways. You build your life on what he says. And if you don't do that, you may say he's an awfully good teacher. Well, I love that Sermon on the Mount, but, but you're not in his kingdom and the house that you build, the life that you build, it is going to collapse. You may not see that right now. You may feel like you're a rock star on the red carpet, but I'm telling you what Jesus says. Your life is built on nothing. So Jesus saw the crowds gathering. and He, he went up on the mountainside and sat down like a king on his throne. <laughs> They all came around him, and he opened his mouth to speak. And the first word out of his mouth was, blessed. And then he said, blessed are the poor, the meek, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you want to know what blessing is, Jesus tells you right here. Pray with me.
oh God, this world is so turned around. Everything is upside down. Lord God, in the world, they, they call love hate. They call wrong right, left right, Lord up down. Lord, it's all so messed up. And God, we have no compass. In this world, Lord, we are lost. All of us lost. Lord, all our neighbors, Lord, there is just simply no place that we can turn in this world to find bearings. There's, there's no place where we can go and find the, the map. No mirror that we can look into and see our true face. And then you come. And, and then, Lord Jesus, you come and, and, and you take your seat and you call us to yourself and you begin to speak. And suddenly, Lord, we begin to see things as they are. Lord, everything's set right side up. Lord, you are the compass. You are the mirror that shows us what our true face is. You are the one with authority that calls us by our true name. You're the only one, Lord, who can set our hearts at rest. You and you alone. Lord, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And Lord, we continue to try to find truth and life in all sorts of places without coming to you. Lord, bring us to your feet and help us to listen. But Lord, more importantly, help us to build our lives upon what you say. God, it's not enough to hear on a Sunday morning. It's not enough to shake the preacher's hand and say, good sermon, Lord. We have to step out of this place and change the road we're walking. Lord, help us not to be hearers only, but doers of your word. God, we confess that we're not very good listeners. We're not very good followers. But, Lord, we know the power of the gospel. Lord, you but say the word, and you can change our hearts. You can change our lives. So, Lord Jesus, say the word that we might be changed. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, but out of the heart of our own need.